We are in a brand new sermon series called The Nightmare Before Christmas. And this morning we're in the Old Testament book of Lamentations. And for those of you who are familiar with the book, you might say, well, it sounds kind of strange for us to be in Lamentations in the Christmas season. But it really does fit our theme this season. The Nightmare Before Christmas, this theme really has nothing to do with Halloween or anything to do with, with movies at all. It really does have to do with the plight of God's people, his chosen people in Israel, before the Messiah was born, before Jesus came. Last week we studied in Jeremiah chapter 25, and we knew that God had made a covenant with his people, And that his people broke this covenant time and time and time and time again. God had warned them about spiritual adultery. He says, you will be my people and I will be your God and don't worship any other gods. And I'm going to take care of you. But the worship of other gods would lead to punishment, discipline, and correction. We were there when the prophet Jeremiah had warned the people numerous times, and kings, and he had warned priests that if they did not change their ways, if they did not come back to God, their nation would come to an end. God's wrath would come down on them. We also learned that God keeps his promises. God didn't simply send his wrath on the nation of Israel just because he was mad at them. No, he had made a promise to them. This was part of it. There were consequences. His correction and his discipline were part of that promise. And today we come to a period of time after the destruction of Jerusalem and after the people of of Judah had been taken away captive by the Babylonians, made slaves or, or killed or tortured And many had crossed the desert into Babylon. The book of Lamentations, this collection of poems, is the sound of hearts, is the sound of a heart that is hurting. The word lament literally means to feel or express sorrow or regret for something. To mourn over something. To feel a deep grief. See, the the armies of Babylon had come into Jerusalem and besieged the city and had taken its people captive. And there were a few leftover souls living amongst the, the rocks who were left behind just to live in the ruins. But for the most part, this was the, the last of God's people, the last of the nation that is now destroyed. God's chosen people as a people, as a land, is gone. It doesn't exist. The first two chapters of the book of Lamentations are the the words of the author expressing this very deep sorrow and this very deep anguish about the destruction of the nation. In the original language, the word lamentations, where we get the name of this book, it almost it simply translates into the word how. 
How could this happen? How did we get here? We can relate to that question really well. In our lives, I wonder if we've ever said things like, how come this is happening to me? How do I live through this loneliness? How do I find myself again? How do I live without laughter and joy? How do I make it through these times of of anguish? How do I make it to tomorrow when I can't seem to find the strength to make it through today? We say things like, how is it that there seems to be no comfort for me? How many times do I have to continue to breathe torment before I see any light? That's what lamentations were to this writer. I want you to imagine the author sitting just up in the hills above Jerusalem, looking down at the, at the city that is empty, that's in ruins, that is burning now. And, and all the people are gone. And this once strong nation of, of God's people, it's, it's not there anymore. And he is on the, the rocks up on the hill, just sitting and hearing nothing but silence and, and seeing just pure loneliness. I want you to imagine the author of this in his loneliness, just simply crying. For the first two chapters, he's been crying for the nation. But now he's turning his his attention and his tears to his own deep depression. I want you to join me in Leviticus, or in Lamentations rather. We're in Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to start in verse number 1. The author writes this, I am a man who has seen misery because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me repeatedly all the day. He has consumed my flesh and my skin. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me live in dark places like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made me he has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and I call for help, he shuts out my prayer. That's a deep lament from the author. Here's the first point in your notes this morning for those of you taking notes at home. Sometimes when life is full of despair, depression and loneliness, we mistakenly blame God. For some reason, in our society, there has to be somebody to blame. Anytime that that we feel sorrow, anytime that we feel loneliness, anytime that we feel despair, there has to be a reason for it, but it has to be somebody else. It's through these first eight verses we hear the the poet, he's using the pronoun he often. He, he, he's referring to God. The author is saying, God has driven me. 
and made me walk into the darkness. He's saying that God has walled me in so I cannot go out. He's saying that God has made my chain heavy. And I'm sure that the list code can go on and on and on of people in our lives who we could blame for our pain, but we rarely do ever include ourselves in that list. Recognizing the affliction is absolutely part of the healing process, but placing blame is not required to heal. Sometimes we find ourselves in a position where our depression is so deep that we, that we won't allow ourselves to come out until we can associate the blame for our affliction on somebody else. Until we can find that person to blame all of this on. And it seems that even in his worst moment, this poet, the author of Lamentations, is saying in verse number 8, he says, even when I cry out for help, he shuts up my prayer. It's kind of a catch-22. We're told that when we are in our deepest state, our deepest moments of despair, we're told to pray. But then when we do, and the, the author, the poet saying, when I do, it feels like some God, sometimes God even shuts the door. He's not even listening to my prayers. Like He'll shut it and he'll put a lock on it. It's as if God's on the other side of that door and just walked away. He won't even hear my cries anymore. That's certainly how the poet the author of Lamentations felt. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, The order of thought is affliction, recognition, or resignation, rather, repentance, and prayer. See, there's no blame on that list. Chances are you've been in a position in your life where your anguish and your depression and your sorrow and your hurt and your suffering are so loud that your soul can hear nothing else. Sometimes things happen in our lives that lead us to cry, but we just we find that the weeping just will not stop. We find that we might not be able to dry our our tears during the day or maybe we get to a point where we can where we can muscle the energy to dry our tears, but we cannot stop our hearts from just bawling. It feels like to everyone else in our lives, we have to fight to put on a smile, and, and it takes all that we can do to just simply get from one day to the next, or from one hour to the next, as if there is nobody who can understand the depth of the grief that we feel, or the protest of our soul. If you're somebody who has been through that, if you're somebody who has been through this and you've maybe come out and you've seen that light on the other side of this moment, I want you to know something. I want you to know that there is somebody in your life right now that is going through this, this silent torment this anguish and this heartache that is yet to extinguish. We've all seen on TV programs like 
There's a show called Hoarders on TV. It's a program that shows people who start collecting things after a traumatic life event. And their collections turn into hordes, and sometimes it's trash, because what they're looking for, they're looking for a replacement. They're looking for a superficial joy. Their hearts are looking for a smile. Their, their soul begs for light. If your soul is in darkness right now, I can stand up here, and I can just tell you just to, to pray about it. But I know firsthand, I know that this advice doesn't feel like it's the answer. I know firsthand how it feels for somebody to simply just like hand you a reminder. Just saying, just, just pray about it. Go read more. And that reminder, it's actually as if somebody is just saying, you know what, I know you're hurting. Go and read. That'll take care of it. But let me tell you why this reminder is important. Even though it might be misguided, let me tell you why it is so important. It's important because of obedience. We know there are blessings that come with obedience. We're told to pray. We're told to keep close to God. We're told to keep deep in His Word. We know that blessings come with obedience, but we also know that there are torments that come with disobedience. If we continue in disobedience, we continue to keep ourselves distanced from God's blessings. Many times our anguish could be the result of our own disobedience. It could be the result of somebody else's disobedience. It's when we're in these deep areas of despair that we really want to blame somebody else, that we automatically eliminate ourselves and our own disobedience out of the equation. We're too often ready to do that. Is the downfall in my marriage at all related to my personal disobedience to God's word towards marriage? Sometimes we want to eliminate that. Is the financial disaster that is happening in my life, is it at all related to the financial disobedience that, that I've been part of and I've been taking part of on a regular basis? Is the deterioration of my household and my family and, and, and the structure and, and, the, and the direction that that my family grows to, is it in any way due to the personal disobedience and distance that I have created between myself and God? Am I honoring my biblical, personal responsibilities to my household? This sermon is not about stop blaming somebody else. That's not the title of this sermon. It's about recognizing that there is a way out of this despair. But we're never going to be able to take a shortcut to find joy. Blame is not necessary for the healing of a heart. If we're waiting for somebody else to take responsibility, we're prolonging our opportunity 
to come closer to joy. For me to stand up here as a pastor and simply tell you that you need to come back to Jesus to fix things, I know it doesn't feel like it solves the problem. It didn't for this poet. Come back with me into Lamentations, where in chapter 3, we're going to be in verse number 9. The poet writes this, he says, He has blocked my way with cut stone. He has twisted my paths. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has made my ways deviate, and he's torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He, is, his, he bent his bow, and he took aim at me as the target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver enter my inward parts. I have become a laughing stock to all of my people. Their song of ridicule is all the day. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. How we feel and how others make us feel too often dictates how we interact with God. Our feelings are affected by so many things. The way that I feel right now could change in 30 seconds depending on how somebody reacts to me. Same with you. The way you feel right now could change. It could change joyously. You could sink deeper into sadness in a few moments. The author is showing that his feelings, and he says it feels like God is taking a bow and shooting arrows right at him. And even on top of that, there's a humiliation. This author says that I'm embarrassed because it seems like all of the other people outside are laughing at me. When we get in these points in our depression, it absolutely feels like everything that everyone says is a comment that is there to pierce our soul. It feels like the whole world is laughing at us for simply being sad. It seems like God's just waiting around the corner to, to find that spark of joy that we found and, and he's going to jump out with this pail full of pain and, and just soak us again in sorrow. That's what it feels like. C.S. Lewis also said this. He said it, it's this repetition, march of the mind around one subject. He's referring to that constant pain that is when your mind is only able to think of one thing. It's that sorrow in your heart. Sometimes this, this happens when there is a death in the family, and understandably so. And it feels like other people are just trying to tell you, has anyone ever said, you hear this? Oh, just snap out of it. Just, just smile a little bit. They say things that make us just sit back and say, you know what, they just don't understand. If they only knew what I felt inside, we end up saying things like, I don't, I don't deserve this. I have no clue why I'm feeling like this on the inside. 
Here's the application. And this is important. What happens is that internally, in our hearts, we start changing our actions to act the way that we are feeling. We start letting our emotions and our feelings now become who we are. We start acting in anger. We start acting in sorrow. Come back with me to verse number 15. We're in chapter 3 of Lamentations. Verse number 15. The author says this. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink plenty of wormwood. He has also made my teeth grind with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been excluded from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has failed and so has my hope from the Lord. Here's the third point in your, in your notes this morning. We must be careful listening to our feelings because when we can't find happy and hope, our mind can deliver us distorted thoughts. If you haven't written that down, I want you to write that down. I'll put that up on the Facebook page later. Guys, can you put that note back up for a second? We must be careful listening to our feelings because when we can't find happy and hope, our mind can deliver us distorted thoughts. Happiness and hope are never guaranteed, and they should never be the main goal of our lives. You've heard this so many times. I've heard this so many times, and it's one of the most frustrating things to hear in counseling sessions when I hear people say things like, I know that God just wants me to be happy. That's the way. You want to know one of, one of the number one ways that divorce is justified is by that line. I know God just wants me to be happy. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. God never asked for happiness. He asked for obedience. Happiness is subjective. Your happiness and my happiness can be two different things. Happiness is not truth. I'll say that again. Happiness is not truth. If your goal in life is to find happiness, love, and a bucket full of smiles, please don't let me be the first to disappoint you because you're not going to find it in life. You're only going to find that in Christ. Distorted thoughts. These are thoughts that come into our mind and take us away from our goal. They take us away from Christ. They are covered in mistruths. If you're relying on your mind to tell you a truth, distorted thoughts are put in our mind by an enemy. Sometimes they're put in our mind by ourselves. Sometimes they're put in our mind by somebody else from, based on what they expect out of us. 
They are what our finite mind can create in its worst moments. And sometimes even at its best moments. They're the same kind of thoughts that this poet was telling himself. Some people tell themselves that they say things like, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve peace. My past is awful. That is a distorted thought. Some people tell themselves that because their, their, their past is, is terrible, that they're not going to amount to anything and there's no hope for them. That is a distorted thought. Sometimes we let our thoughts and our emotions and our feelings dictate to us who we are. And that leads to a life full of distortion. Imagine our feelings, our best feelings, telling us who we are. Feelings aren't truth. Happiness isn't truth. The author of Lamentations chapter 3 is so deep in his ministry, that in, in his mini, mi, misery, that, that heartbreak and pain is the first thing on his mind when he wakes up. It's the last thing on his mind when he tries to sleep. It is on his mind 430 times a day. It's just this pain going through his mind. There's nothing else that he can think of. It is overtaking him all day. It's the conversation that he wants to have with anyone who will listen, but nobody will listen to understand the depths of the pain in his soul. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse number 19. He's actually asking God, he says, Remember my misery and my homelessness, the wormwood and bitterness. My soul certainly remembers, and it's bent over within me. It's that picture of that moment when you're physically sick. When your stomach is so upset that you're physically bent over, you're just holding yourself because the, the pain is so deep. You can barely walk. It hurts. Now imagine that's not a physical pain. That's an emotional pain. That's a spiritual pain. That pain in your heart is so deep that you are bent over and you cannot move. Your soul is in a deep misery. Let me give you an application here. when it comes to those obtrusive and those distorted thoughts, they don't produce truth. Even on your best day, your mind and your thoughts don't produce truth. Truth comes from one place. It doesn't come from your mind. It doesn't come from somebody else in your life. It doesn't come from society. It doesn't come from who you want to be. It doesn't even come from who you say you are. Truth comes from one place, and that's from God. You and I, we don't make truth. There is a truth. You can't make yourself into something that God did not already make you. 
God did not make you worthless. You can't make yourself worthless. That is a distorted thought. Don't try and tell yourself that this pain will never stop because that's a lie. Don't try and tell yourself that you'll never be able to forgive because that is a lie. Don't try and tell yourself that everyone else has life so good except you because that is a lie. You can say everything you want about yourself, but if God didn't say it first, then that is an obtrusive thought, and that is getting between you and joy. After so many words written in this author's personal journal here in chapter 3 of Lamentations, the author comes back through the pain and remembers truth. And I want you to see this. We're in verse number 21. Lamentations 3, verse number 21, it says, I recall this to my mind, therefore I wait. The Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. My soul waits. Therefore, I wait for him. Here's a final point in your notes this morning. The distance from sorrow to joy only looks long when we try and solve our sorrows ourselves. Either way you go, the answer is always Jesus. When you're in a deep depression and you're surrounded by sorrow, you can try everything in the world as a route to joy, but there is only one answer. You can come closer to Jesus now and begin that journey to find joy, or you can continue in suffering and you can come later, but if you're going to find joy, you're going to find it in Christ. The only question is, how long is that going to take? How long before we let go of our anger and we let go of our blame? Let me make this point very clear. That however deep your pain is right now, if you're one who is in this depression... And I'm not going to lie to you, I've been there. I don't know how close you think you are to Jesus right now, but it's not close enough. If you're still holding on to pain and sorrow, it means that you are not yet close enough to Jesus to give it to him. You're still standing too far away. If you're still holding on to bitterness and failure to forgive others, you're still standing too far away from Jesus. I know in the anger of our depression that we want to lash out at others and claim that my, my faith is strong enough. Don't question my faith. My relationship with Christ is none of your business. 
And see, it's that anger and that lashing out. That's not love. That's anger. And that shows that we are not close enough to Jesus. Coming out of this nightmare, it takes time. But coming out of this nightmare requires us to let go. We can't come away from pain if we're going to continue to carry the pain. And we can't give it to Jesus unless we let go of it. I wonder how many of you have literally woken up in the middle of the night from a, an actual nightmare and you physically can feel the effects of something that was going on in your mind while you were asleep. You wake up and, and you've been sweating, but you haven't been working out. Your heart is racing, but you haven't been running upstairs. You wake up and you're scared, but there's nobody outside tapping on the window. And you realize that what you experience was a nightmare. But it has physical attributes. Here's the thing about a nightmare. Is that sometimes it doesn't end as soon as you wake up. Sometimes you remember that into the day. Sometimes you remember it into the week. Sometimes maybe you remember that into a month. But how long you let a nightmare affect who you are is 100% dependent on how close to Christ you are. I want you to see what the poet finally says in verse number 25. He says, the Lord is good to those who await him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone and keep quiet since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who is going to strike him. Let him be filled with shame. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, he will have compassion in proportion to his abundant mercy. This morning, we're in a Christmas season that to some people is not full of smiles. It's not full of joy. Depression doesn't know a season. It doesn't know times on the calendar when it's time for depression to happen. It doesn't matter if it's sunny outside, if it's dark or gloomy. There is a way out. It does take time. But it also takes obedience. It takes coming closer to Christ. It takes coming closer to Jesus. And I know if you're there right now, you listen to this and, and it comes across as, eh, the pastor's just telling me to pray and read my Bible more. And it doesn't sound like it helps. But let me tell you, if, if Jesus is the source of joy, we're not going to find joy in any other source. We have to come closer to Christ. 
And in coming closer to Christ, it means we have to let go. We have to let go of those things that we're holding on to. Why can't we forgive? Here's the question. What do we gain by not forgiving someone? And what do we lose by forgiving them? It's a deep question. What we gain is being obedient to God's direction for us. And what we gain now is taking this problem, taking this hurt, and we're giving it to Jesus. We don't carry it anymore. My prayer for you today is that if you are in this nightmare, you will find that quiet time. I know you've got quiet time, and it's quiet time to cry right now. But make sure Jesus is there. Go through the rest of Lamentations. It's a five-chapter book. It won't take you very long. Sometimes, when we're hurting, it's helpful to have somebody there who is hurting also. Read through this book because we can see hurt in our Bible. See, the nice thing about the Bible is it gives us a path through so many areas in our lives. It actually gives us a path through depression. It's a difficult time right now, I know. It's a difficult time for a lot of us. It's a difficult time if you are in this state of depression. If you've been through it before, I want, you to, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Keep an eye out for somebody in your world who is struggling in a silent torment. Because if you've been there, you can help. Sometimes it takes somebody to listen Sometimes people are embarrassed or they're just smiling to get through the day and they're not going to tell you that they need to say something. It's common in America that we just ask people as a simple greeting, hey, how you doing? They're not going to tell you the truth and we're not going to listen to the answer. It's a greeting. Let's make that question not a greeting. Let's make that question legitimately. How are you doing and how can I listen and how can I help? We don't all have to be in a nightmare forever. There is a way out. For those of you who are either here in the room or those of you who are online, I want you to know that this church has a prayer team and we have people who want to pray with you. Get hold of us somehow. You can send an email. We've got a general email address at info, I-N-F-O, at parisvalleycc.com. You can send, um, you can reach out to us on Facebook. You can reach out to us on, um, on Instagram. There's somebody who's always monitoring these formats. Don't go through it alone. We are there to help, and we can help. And we want to pray with you. We'll have the feedback up in just a second.
while that's coming up, let me pray with you. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity to come together. I want to thank you for a team, a team who works hard to bring this service together. And Lord, I want to thank you so much for having a way out of our depression and for actually giving us instructions on what it takes to get from the depths of our soul to the heights of joy. Lord, this morning I just ask that you bless everyone here and all of those watching and just remind them that you are the source of joy and coming back to you brings us back to joy. Lord, I pray this morning that you will help us remember that blame isn't part of healing, but simply you are our healing. Lord, this morning I pray that you will reach into this congregation and just take distorted thoughts out of our mind and remind us that what we feel and what we think is not truth. That truth only comes from you. Lord, this morning, keep our eyes on you and keep our mind in your truth, not society's truth, not the truth we want to be. No. Lord, keep our hearts in the truth that you want us to be. Lord, we want to go all in for you. I pray that you take our hearts all in to you. As David plays, Lord, just hear our prayer, hear our worship. We love you and we praise you when we pray all of this in Jesus' name.